Thank you. So as the kids go, just reflect. Isn't it awesome to worship God together? I mean, this was in song. We worship Him in all kinds of other ways, but singing is one of those ways that uh, I know just really uh, gets me in the mood. How about you, right, to worship God a little bit more? Um, I had a dream last night, um, and in that dream, this is a true story. I'm not making this up, um, like most pastors do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I had a dream last night, and uh, I sang really well. It was awesome. Uh, it was just a dream. Yeah. But uh, isn't it nice to know God doesn't care? It comes from our heart, right? It comes from our heart, the words that we say and we sing. So, the lion, the fox, and the donkey were hunting together one afternoon. It's not a true story. <laughs> and they caught a large quantity of game. And as they prepared to go their separate ways to wherever they got to go as animals, the lion said to the donkey, divide up the spoils. And so the donkey sorted everything into three nice, equal piles. It was perfect. And he made sure that everyone had exactly equal share. Then the lion looked at the three evenly distributed piles, and he didn't like what he saw. So he pounced on the donkey killed him in an instant, and tossed him on top of his pile. <laughs> it's, a, it's a children's story. <laughs> and then the lion turned to the fox, and he said, divide up the spoils. <laughs> and the fox quickly put everything into one huge pile, and then cautiously took for himself out of that pile one small crow, and then he slowly backed away. And the lion looked at the pile and he said, very good. But I must ask you, where did you learn how to divide things up so evenly? And the fox said, it's something I picked up from the donkey. <laughs> See, it's one thing to learn from your own experience. Have you? It's one thing to learn from your own experience, to learn from your own mistakes. It's quite another to be able to learn from the mistakes that other people make. Learning from our own mistakes is somewhat uncommon. It really is. Uh, that we actually learn not to repeat the mistakes that we've already made. History bears witness for you and I as humans. We do not learn from the past. Now, Learning from the mistakes of other people is even more rare. We rarely watch someone else mess up and take advantage of the opportunity we've just been afforded of the lesson learned. God has left you and I the most important wisdom for life. It's found in the Bible. It's found in the Word of God. And He's left us the message of eternal life itself the way things really are. And many of the stories that are found in the Old Testament serve this exact purpose. They offer you and I a chance. They offer us a chance to learn life's most important lessons as seen through the eyes of God without having to personally endure the pain and the suffering and the consequences that come along with making those very same mistakes. 
And some people downplay the Old Testament. I know I, I hear it all the time. They say it's passé. You know, uh, it's not very relevant anymore. Um, isn't it just the Old News Testament? First Corinthians, in the New News Testament, chapter 10, verse 11. Now, these things, what things? These particular stories that Paul is telling the Corinthian church of God's children Israel hundreds of years ago, where they are making horrible life choices. Now, these things happened to them as an example. These were the ultimate tragic fails, but they were written down for our, the churches, you and I, as well as them. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. We are at the end point of God's story for this planet. And this morning, I'd like us to learn. I'd like us to learn how to live from the example of others and not make the mistakes ourselves, individually and even as a church. And, and learn the example of others, not just from the Old Testament, but this morning, I'd like us to learn from the living examples from the New Testament. First, let's discover the example of Peter, the apostle, Jesus' disciple Peter. It's in Matthew 26. He's afraid, we find him in this story, he's afraid of the powerful leaders of his day. Uh, it seemed like everything that was going on at this moment in Matthew 26 was stacked against him and against Jesus' followers. He sensed defeat. He's standing outside the trumped-up trial of Jesus Christ. And he's fearful to take a stand of, of, of what he believed in and in whom he believed. He's standing alone outside this trial venue, and he forgets Jesus the living Word of God had predicted that this very thing was going to happen just days ago. And the night before, Jesus had told them all, don't be afraid. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And Peter denied he knew Jesus under the pressure. He caved. And right after his very public denial... We read in Matthew 26, it's in verse 75, and Peter remembered, <laughs> you know, isn't that the story for so many of us? Oh, yeah. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Yes, he wept bitterly remorseful tears, and we also learn from the rest of Peter's story that he was later forgiven after his repentance and restored by Jesus Christ in person. And Peter went on to lead the new church in Jerusalem, and he did amazing things, this time in the name of Jesus Christ and for the name of Jesus Christ. Um, in this example we've just looked at from the New Testament, we learn, will we? Well, we get a chance to learn how to stand. We, we, we have an opportunity to learn how to talk, how to repent, and how to forgive. Are you listening? Are you learning from the donkey? Be bold. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Do not be hesitant to identify with the name of Jesus Christ in spite of the circumstances. Ask yourself, do I repent when I've been convicted of sin and then do I ever experience the restoration that God affords me every time? Ask yourself, do I forgive others when they repent or do I hold bitterness and grudges? Learning isn't just reading these stories. It's not even agreeing with the conclusion of these stories and going, yeah, 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 that was good. Learning translates into how you and I live out these stories. How do we live out these stories? We live out these stories by the power of God's Holy Spirit that indwells every true follower of Jesus Christ. We can have victory. We can live out these stories because it's all Jesus' story anyway. So Peter leads the church into its initial beginnings. He's restored. It's wonderful. Great lesson learned. And in the early, mainly Jewish church, we find signs of obvious racism. We find uh, a national arrogance. And we find a lot of cultural taboos. Um, Lots of similarities, lots of dissimilarities with our Gentile church today, but there they are. And then we come and we read the example, another one, that Peter's a part of. Uh, It's about an an early Christian couple, husband and wife. It's in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Lots of people were giving money to this new fledgling church in Jerusalem to support each other, to help each other, to get the gospel message out there. And so they did their part, and they sold some land they had. And with his wife's knowledge... This guy, Ananias, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet with the idea of everybody going, they they gave it all, right? But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it, it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? It was yours, right? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal, all that cash? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you, not, you have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. I'll bet it did. Lying to God's Holy Spirit in public, portraying that they had indeed sold this piece of property and were giving 100% to God's newly created church in Jerusalem, struck dead on the spot. It's right there in black and white. You know, back in the Israelite examples that uh, Paul will use and did use in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that I read from at the beginning… The examples Paul gave tell us that thousands of Israelites lost their lives when they sinned. Thousands, tens of thousands. There were casualties. 
deaths for sinful behavior. And we go, when we read those Old Testament stories, we go, oh, that was really bad. Wow, wouldn't want to have been there. That's really, really dreadful. But that was a different time. Those were ancient times, right? Right? Pete, please tell me it was a different time. (laughs) I need to be shaken up. I don't know about you. And it needs to happen often. I need to be shaken up by this account in the New Testament. In the very same church in which you and I are a part of through Jesus Christ. The church hasn't changed. Well, you're like, Peter, it was just a story, and, it, and it's not that common. I wonder. I believe it's recorded for us, just like the Old Testament stories. I believe it's supposed to have an evident impact on the way you and I tell the truth in our homes, at church, to those in authority over us. I believe it's supposed to have an evident impact in the way I give my time, the abilities that God has blessed me and you with, and my use of God's resources that He's graciously put under my care. It's His stuff, right? Am I a good steward of God's stuff? Or do I sense I'm thinking I'm the owner of all this? like this couple did. What have we really learned that translates into our daily practices? And then as the church breaks new ground and grows after this, it's amazing, right? It's amazing what a little fear can do, a fear of God, and expands even to other countries around the world. We read the example of believers in a a Greek, a local Greek church in, in the city of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 11, which is the chapter after the one that I read at the beginning, where Paul said, are y'all learning from Israel? Paul points out that some of them have not learned and have not taken advantage of those lessons to be learned and have not changed their lifestyle according to the lesson learned. And we discover that some of them in chapter 11 were feasting like gluttons at the Lord's Supper because it would be a, a big mealtime. That's the way they did it. We, we do something similar when, in the past before COVID where after communion we would go share a, a lunch together, right? Well, they did that all in one big uh, event. So they're, some of them are feasting like gluttons, and Paul's heard about this at this Lord's Supper, and they're greedily hoarding all of the ample supply of food and wine that they had brought along to the communion meal, and they weren't sharing it with those who were at the meal who had brought little or nothing because they couldn't afford it. They were mimicking the world outside their doors. They were mimicking the pagan feasts and festivals that were going on in the city around them all the time, feasts to which Paul said earlier and taught them, stay away from those events. Don't go there. These are pagan feasts honoring created gods who are actually not gods at all. 
And so since we can't have fun anymore, because we're now Christians, and it's not fun to be a Christian, right? That's how I thought at one point in my life. We're going to bring all this kind of fun to church. It's just cultural anyway, right? No harm, no foul. And Paul's saying that's why you may have noticed as you look around the room that some of the church members have been struck down with sickness and some have even passed away and died because of this sin. Now, before we all go off and get crazy like some churches and denominations have done, it's not that sickness and death are to be immediately associated with lifestyle choices, right? You and I live in a sick and dying world. So we should expect what? Sickness and death. By the way, the Bible says it's going to get worse. But this particular judgment that took place in Corinth, that took place in the early church in Jerusalem, this judgment for his kids' sins is for God the Father alone. The bigger question I have is what has the church today brought into its worship? Um, We all brought something here today, right? We all brought something. Maybe for some it's just cultural. Maybe it's just a habitual thing. You just come. It's Mother's Day. I'll come for Mother's Day. Okay, Easter and Christmas too. But we all came with something for some reason. Could what we bring speak more of the culture around us? Could it derive its source from even forbidden things? What do we allow in our worship? And I'm not just talking about the confines of this room and of a worship service. I'm talking about in our homes, in the supposedly 24-7 worship of God. So that includes our homes and, and our schools and our workplace and our sporting events and our leisure time, all of that. What do I bring? What do I allow in? Did you notice over the last four weeks as we went through uh, the lifestyles of the seven churches of Asia Minor in in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, how how Jesus pointed out compromise because of fear, lowering standards for the sake of acceptance, self-sufficiency because of their prideful, powerful positions and wealth and popularity tolerance for false teaching and its application by the way they conduct themselves out in society. What were the consequences from not learning from the past in the way that those churches were living for most of them? And the consequences came from Jesus' own hands, or as he put it, the sword coming out of my mouth. If you remember, it was pretty drastic stuff. Well, what did we take away? What have we really learned? Will we watch the donkey and then change our behavior? 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but, church, they were written down for our instruction. How many of you 
who have raised or maybe you're still raising children have not mentioned this warning often. Don't do this. <laughs> have you ever said that? Don't do that. Please, whatever you do, don't go down that path. And when you said don't go down that path, you pointed to an example. Might have been anecdotal, but you said, this guy, this lady, and look where, and look where they end. You don't want to go there. You may have even um, pointed to your own past example as proof. Here's what I did. I did the wrong thing. Look how it messed things up. Watch and learn Old Testament examples, New Testament examples, 21st century church examples. They're all around us. God's provided them, and we need to pick up something from the donkey. We need to observe and then be wise like the fox. Because there are a lot of lions, and there's one in particular who's prowling around who doesn't care at all for your good or for my good. First Peter. Ah, it's Peter again. He learned a lesson. Chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter before he denied him, days before? The devil wants, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And I'm praying he doesn't, Peter. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's, it's, it's what he does. You know the flip side of learning about the negative from others uh, is the positive side of observing and growing from the way others follow God and model their life through God's strength and His power, and you get to watch that. We learn through observing others who are following God, we, we get to observe the fruits of the Spirit. The, the way that the Holy Spirit works in them, and we get to see the good that God produces through those fruits, not only in that person's life, but in the lives of other people. If you are hard-pressed in your current relationships to get to watch those kinds of people, you need to get some new relationships. <laughs> you really do. That's why we have the church and that's why it needs to be active and alive and meeting continually, doing life together continually so we can watch these evidences of the Holy Spirit of God. But there is one every Christian already has, and there can be no better example than Jesus Christ Himself. And what I'm often struck by as I was thinking about this this week is this one thing, probably because I want more of it in my life, but I think I see it's lacking in society today, and that's the compassion of Jesus Christ. Everyone needs compassion. Hey, that's a song, Jason, right? Where are you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. yeah, it's a good one. We sing it here. I need more compassion, especially in this skeptical, cynical society in which we all exist. Do you? And what do we learn from Jesus? Well, first thing, he wept. He cried. Luke 19, verse, starting in verse 41. And when he drew, this is Jesus, when he drew near and he saw the city, this is Jerusalem, he wept over it. And he said, I would that you, even you, 
had known on this day the things that make for peace. For now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they'll tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. As Jesus stood looking over Jerusalem and its active temple courts, everybody was worshiping God, Jesus predicts Jerusalem's destruction. And it happened, just like He said, 40 years later in 70 A.D. He wept because at that time, right then, He was offering them life. He was offering them life and salvation. He was offering them the kingdom of God. And as a nation, they were rejecting that offer of peace peace from God Himself. Do I weep enough over those who have not yet believed? Believe this offer of salvation through Jesus Christ that God is giving, that I'm supposed to be a part of delivering. Am I that invested into the call of God on each of His children to live out the gospel visibly, even when it's not convenient, even when it's not safe? Remember Peter. Is that kind of compassion, does it even have a piece of my prayer life? Do I weep enough over those who have believed but are neglecting God in some area of their life and they're suffering right now for it? Or am I callous and say, that stinks for them? Jesus again wept later on when His friend Lazarus died. Even though Jesus knew He was going to raise him from the dead, It's in, uh, really soon, it's in in John 11, verse 32 and 38. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, "Ah, could could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. We know from the rest of the account as John records it, why Jesus waited. It was in order to glorify God the Father and so that people would believe that God had sent Jesus Christ. The gospel message concerning Jesus Christ brackets every move we make, every step we take. But the emotion that Jesus publicly shows 
for his friend, it's still there. You can't blow it off. There was an obviously deeper connection than what was normal. Am I allowing myself to be connected to certain people with that degree of compassion? It's risky. Yeah, I'm not, not going to lie to you. It's vulnerable, and I'll probably get hurt. Almost guarantee I'll probably get hurt from time to time. Could God use the depth of those relationships for His glory and to draw others that He has called to Himself? Absolutely. Do I want to be a part of that? Am I learning from that? Am I using that information that's so clear in God's Word to my advantage, for God's advantage? It's really got nothing to do with me. Watching Jesus, I had also observed that He was often physically and emotionally spent. He was drained by the pressing crowds day in and day out. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, but he's God, Peter. He's in a human body that's subject to everything that your human body is subject to. Do you get tired? How many of you are tired right now? Don't put your hand up. His three-and-a-half-year itinerary from God the Father was unreal. But he still took the time to touch, to heal, to teach the good news, of the offered and coming kingdom, even though he knew it was going to be rejected, and to pour his life into the few men and women who would follow him. He took all the unjust, misrepresented criticism from the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. There's a lot to learn from Jesus about carrying yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, with sheer confidence that God is in control all the time. And what about the physical exhaustion, the human body? It happens. What do I do when I get drained, when I get, when I get tired, when I, when I say and I use the words, I've had enough? You ever, you ever said that? Okay, none of you have. I do from time to time. Well, here's something I learned from my master after a draining day. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early that next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he, everybody, prayed. God the Father was God the Son's source of power, wisdom, and compassion. God the Father was God the Son's power behind every one of His words and all of His deeds. And Jesus lived and prayed according to that reality. John 12, 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority. This is Jesus. But the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Complete 
and utter dependence and reliance. John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel at what my Father's doing. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Do you know this kind of life, this kind of living, in sync with God the Father? Jesus, God in the flesh, walked in step with our Father in heaven. A major part of that connection, as we see over and over again, was his prayer life. What causes you and I to live in this world as if it will be different for us? Could my level of compassion that I just said I need more of and my display of other fruits of the Spirit be connected to my unceasing prayer with the Father? What do you think? Hmm, I believe so. But will the learning of that be evidenced in prayer's practice all the more in my life and in yours? And then on the cross with everything else that was going on uh, in bearing, taking on the sins of humanity and paying the penalty for our sin debt, not to mention the sheer agony and the pain and the suffering, Jesus is concerned about his mother. John 19, verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son pointing over to John. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. John, who's known as the apostle of love, cares for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Where do you think he learned that kind of compassion from? Learning compassion from the Son of God. We all need more of this kind of spiritual fruit. Our world craves it and doesn't even know it. And when it does realize it, it tries to manufacture it all on its own, and it's dismal. It lacks power. It can't be sustained. But this kind of life, a life that evidences this kind of faith in God through Jesus Christ is is indispensable in your and my daily God-given tasks, raising families, doing a job, um, serving others in in their needs, uh, studying for school, whatever it is. It's indispensable in our daily God-given tasks where we at the same time are, are sharing the good news from generation to generation. And I pray that the coming generation learns from our mistakes 
and our successes. One of the great pastors of the past, who the Apostle Paul um, personally discipled and thought an awful lot of was Timothy. And look at some of Timothy's generation-to-generation story where Paul writes to him in his second letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7. to Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, listen to these words, my beloved child. When have you called somebody else that outside of your family? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Why? As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears. I long to see you. Why? Because I remember your tears. (laughs) That I may be filled with joy. Because when I'm around you, that's what happens. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Listen to this. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but what? but of power and love and self-control. It's all there in that one little paragraph. Well, it's a long paragraph. Paul, Paul writes long paragraphs. But we learn of the legacy of three generations passing on the faith, learning from the past, learning the lessons, and then living them out. But don't miss this point. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. For God gave us a, what kind of spirit? Not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. These are gifts from God to His church, to you and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. These fruits come from the Spirit of God, and they've been modeled, and they're being modeled, and may they continue to be alive and well in us as we go out and live this life, live the lessons learned, even on Mother's Day. Would you rise with me? We're going to continue to praise our amazing Heavenly Father for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and Again, we are arrested by your word. It's clear. It's powerful. It cuts away all the garbage that we have allowed to come into our our heads and our minds this week from so many different voices, and it cuts to the chase. And Lord, we're so thankful that you do this for us day in and day out, every time we open this word and pray in the power of your Holy Spirit, you reveal yourself and you, you teach us how to then live. And Lord, that's our desire, to be faithful servants. Wherever you send us today, may we go with this kind of compassion and love and boldness for the gospel message you've left us. And we pray it all 
In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.